In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, uh, who with Peter formed the inner three of the twelve disciples, uh, who were renamed by our Lord the sons of thunder, come up to Jesus and say, We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And they asked Jesus this, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. And this request, as we will see, reveals a profound misunderstanding of the person and work of Jesus and what it means, what it entails following him. Now, it is helpful to understand the messianic expectations of James and John, which were common, if not ubiquitous, among Jews living in what's called the Second Temple Period. So even though Jesus had just told them, go back and read Mark 10, he had just told them that he was going to Jerusalem to suffer and die, they could not comprehend a crucified Messiah. It was an oxymoron for a Jew living in the first century. It's like saying frozen fire, which I'm sure after the service, Jonathan's chemistry guy, he'll tell me there is such a thing and I'll, I'll be made a fool of. Because crucified messiahs were failed messiahs. No, for them, Jesus' ministry is gaining steam. They believe he is the messiah. What's the messiah? The king of Israel. That's going to cleanse the temple and renew the covenant and save the people of God and win the battle and drive out the enemies of Israel and make all things new. The one that's going to rule and reign over all the nations of the earth. How can you do all those things if you're dead? Therefore, they just screened it out. They heard Jesus say it. When Jesus spoke to them, they heard what they wanted to hear. They, they just had it in their heads. He's going to Jerusalem to reign in an earthly sense, akin, akin to Caesar, or more pointedly, akin to King David. He's going to go there and he's going to drive out and defeat the Romans, not die at their hands. So it's out of these expectations that they make their request. And Jesus replies, guys, you don't know what you're asking. You don't get it. And then Jesus asked them a couple of questions. You know, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? And they say, sure, because again, they're functioning within this set of expectations. I mean, they're probably thinking something along the lines of, yeah, we can, we can drink the cup. We can drink the cup of blessing. We can celebrate the Passover. Uh, yeah, we can be baptized. We can do the ceremonial washings under the law of Moses. You know, we're down with the baptism of John for repentance. We can do that. They did not yet know that Jesus' glory, coming into his glory, that his glory was in his humiliation, that his glory was in being the Lamb of God, that takes away the sins of the world. That his cup is the pain of crucifixion. 
and the iniquity of the world which would be laid upon him, his cup to drink. They did not know that his baptism was his death. But they find out soon enough, and Jesus tells them as much. Oh yeah, you are, you are going to drink this cup. You are going to experience this baptism. James was martyred. John would be a martyr, but he miraculously survived his martyrdom. They boiled him alive, and so the tradition goes. And he miraculously survives, kind of a la Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego kind of scenario. And so we're just going to put you on this island. We're going to exile you to Patmos. He certainly suffered for the gospel. And Jesus tells him, you will drink this cup. You will be baptized. But you can't be seated at my right and left because that's already been appointed. What is Jesus talking about? What, what, is he, what is he saying? I mean, is he saying, look, guys, Moses and Elijah got their reservations in first. Sorry, you're just, you're just too late. I told you to register online. You, you, you procrastinated, and now you're not going to get the best seats. What is he? No. We find out exactly what Jesus meant. Five chapters later, Mark 15. In Mark 15, we, found, we find out for whom the seats of glory were appointed. Verse 27. And with him, that is Jesus, they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus' crown was a crown of thorns. His throne, his seat of glory was the cross. His coronation was a crucifixion. So to be seated with him, when the, to be seated with the Son of Man when he ascends his throne in glory was to be crucified alongside him. They truly did not know that for which they were asking. Now Jesus did. When we talk about what they expected, Jesus fulfilled every jot and tittle of the law and the prophets. It's not that the prophecies, the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah failed. No, Jesus fulfilled and exceeded all messianic expectations, but he did it in a most unexpected way. No one, perhaps, in the first century anticipated that the Son of Man in Daniel, the Son of Man that comes from the book of Daniel, that the Son of Man in Daniel, which is this exalted human being, the Messiah who would share Yahweh's throne, no one had any idea that the Son of Man would turn out to be the same person as Isaiah's suffering servant. But this is what Jesus is proclaiming. And he makes this connection to Mark 10 when he says, the Son of Man, this exalted figure who ascends and shares Yahweh's throne, the one seated at the right hand of God, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The contrast between the sons of Zebedee in Mark 10 and Jesus in our epistle, Hebrews 5, is stark. James and John say, my will be done. 
We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Jesus, on the other hand, with loud cries and tears, offering up supplications. This is a reference to Gethsemane. Jesus, sweating drops of blood, says, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. That is the cup of suffering, the cup of suffering for our sins. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. James and John wanted to be exalted to a place of prominence whereat they would be served. Jesus came to serve, to be the suffering servant, to be pierced for our transgressions, to be crushed for our iniquities. The exaltation of Jesus in his earthly sojourn was being lifted high on the cross that he might draw all men unto himself. The glory of Jesus, the trappings of which he set aside, for us and for our salvation, the glory which he had with the Father and the Holy Spirit before the world was created was attained for us through humility, suffering, and obedience unto death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that's above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Oftentimes, and I'll speak for myself, in my relationship with the Lord, particularly in my prayer life, I never make it past the maturity of James and John. <laughs> Oftentimes, our requests are more akin to that of James and John than it is to the prayer of Jesus and the, the prayer which Jesus gave us. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We come to the Lord as if he were a genie or a cosmic ATM, and say, in essence, we want you to give us whatever we ask. We have desires. He has omnipotence. And so let's make a deal. Jesus, hook me up with some of that power. And perhaps we approach God in this way, because like James and John in Mark 10, our messianic expectations are miss. We, too, have misunderstood the person and work of Jesus, and particularly what it means to follow him, what following him entails. Following Jesus, this is a hard lesson to learn, it does not mean a better life in an earthly, worldly sense. It's a different life. It's his life. Following Jesus will not make your life easier either. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Even though it's a good, look, 
good life. His, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. It's an abundant life. Now that, and, and, and I'm not saying that on account of following Jesus, we, we kind of dived into this last week, that there won't be temporal or material blessing, blessings in this life. You live wisely, there certainly could be. But it's not guaranteed. And moreover, and this is what you got to get this morning, it's not the goal of the Christian life. It's telos is not a better life in an earthly, worldly sense. Jesus didn't die so that we can have the American dream. He died so that we could be forgiven of our sins, so that we could be released from the slavery of death and have fellowship, the fellowship for which we were created. We could have fellowship with him forevermore. And fellowship with Jesus, again, is not the fulfillment of our fleshly desires, but the mortification of said desires through imitation of Christ in his humility, obedience, and oftentimes, suffering. To walk with Jesus is to walk in his steps. And the way in which we walk is the way of the cross. No servant is greater than his master. What was Jesus' earthly sojourn like? And Jesus is trying to teach James and John Following me is perhaps not what you think it's going to be. If any man come after me, if any man would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. The narrow road which leads to life, brothers and sisters, is oftentimes none other than the Via Della Rosa, the way of suffering. We always get a pop. I don't know what it is. So we need to come to terms with the reality that fellowship with Christ means at times fellowship with his suffering. And that the kingdom of God oftentimes grows in the same manner in which it was established through redemptive suffering. But lest we lose hope, we must remember that suffering in and for the kingdom of God is indeed redemptive. Jesus, through his suffering and death, as Hebrews says, became the source of eternal salvation. And through, this is the hope, and through the suffering of the suffering servants, servants, that's us, through the suffering of Christ's mystical body, her members are brought to perfection. That's James 1. We learn obedience through the things that we suffer, just like our Lord. So we're brought to perfection. That's James 1. And the truth of the gospel is displayed in the world. The ultimate suffering for the gospel is martyrdom. What does the word martyr mean? It means witness. And to give an example, the suffering of the apostles, James and John, their suffering radically transformed the world for the sake of the gospel. 
we are in part the fruit of their redemptive suffering. So the way to glory, the way to Christ-likeness, is through imitation of Christ. <laughs> imitation of his humility, imitation of his heart for service, imitation of his obedience. And yes, we don't like to hear this, but it's true. Oftentimes fellowship with his suffering. So brothers and sisters, let us come to Jesus and request not our own gain, but to gain him. Let us not come looking for a better version of this present life, but come looking for his life, for the abundant life which he offers us. And let us ask him for the grace to do whatever it is our Lord requests of us. Let us ask him for the grace to endure suffering when it comes, having always in our hearts, brothers and sisters, a spirit of humility and surrender, saying, not my will, O Lord, but thine.